So, scripture for today is Genesis 1, 1 through 5. And this is how God begins his maximum revelation of himself to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God saw, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you because we know that you are light. And in you there was no darkness at all. And God, we, we certainly cannot say that about ourselves. We would not even think that about ourselves. So thus we come to you, spiritual beggars that we are, having nothing in our hands but pleading the blood of Christ. So God, in our humility and in our brokenness, we come to you now and we ask that you would be with us, that you would make your light shine upon us and that you would be gracious to us. We pray this in the name of your glorious Son. Amen. Does it ever feel like the darkness is closing in? All of that light that you thought you once had is now reduced to a flicker. And it seems as though that flickering light just might get snuffed out. Or you are human, and so you've gone through or you are in a season of depression. And there's something about the darkness around you that you can't stand, but it's quite comforting. To be alone and surrounded by darkness. Thankfully, Scripture is telling us a different story. It's telling us the grand story not of darkness coming and overtaking light, but rather light coming down and piercing into the darkness and overcoming all of the darkness. That there's not even a shadow, a corner, a crevice that will not be exposed to the glory of God and will not come into subjection to the glory and sovereignty of God. That is the story of Scripture. So during this Advent season, as Curtis mentioned, we're going to be looking at the light coming into the darkness. And for thousands of years, the people of God have oriented their calendar and included this as part of it so that they will always have in mind this coming Messiah because they had been living in brokenness and their souls are dry and their hearts are longing and the only thing that can satisfy them is the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And here we find ourselves in the same situation. Or 
living in brokenness and our souls are dry and we're thirsty and we're longing and we know that the only thing that can satisfy is the Messiah. Not only the Messiah who has come, but the Messiah who is coming once again to live and to reign, to rule over His people, to fight the darkness and dispel it from amongst His subjects. So as as we go through Advent, we begin, we, we begin in the beginning story of God, we look at the need for the Messiah. Why is there a need for the Messiah? And then we look at the coming of the Messiah. Adam's going to be looking at Isaiah. But then we talk about the arrival of Christ. And then, of course, he's not only come once, but he's going to come again. And we look at the, again at the return of Christ. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 1. Today, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 9 with Adam preaching. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness, on them, on them has light shone. We're going to be going back to one of the Psalms after that. Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night around me be night, be the light around me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is a light with you. And then finally, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, it has not, and it cannot, and it will not overcome it. So that's what we're going to be looking at, our little mini Advent series here before we go back to Philippians and finish it up. So this week we're going to be looking again at Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to know that you should see the light, you should see the light, and you should reflect the light. You should see the light, and you should reflect the light. And we're going to be looking at several different things here. First one is the creation. In Genesis chapter 1, you can't avoid that. We're going to be looking at the creation. Then we're going to be looking at light. What is it? How do we see it throughout the rest of Scripture? And then finally, thirdly, life. Life that comes out of the light. So let's go back to the text here. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me tell you about that. The, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Behold, my friends, behold the majesty of God. You don't even get three words into the text. And it's completely beyond your comprehension. Before creation, there was nothing of physical matter... Yet there was everything that ever mattered. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, dwelling with one another. But then, out of nothing, comes something. And it happened just at, right, at the right time there. You see, right in the beginning. And God is the actor. God is the one initiating. God is the one who is doing this. And so it's, it's from Him and then it's to Him that all everything will flow. 
So your first introduction to God is as your creator. He is your sovereign and he is your Lord. As your mama has told you a thousand times, he's brought you into this world and he can take you out. So if he creates everything, everything, here we are. Here's our sovereign God who's created everything. And yet, even though we know that to be true, we try to hide things from him, withhold things from him. You can say, I'm I'll give you this part of my heart, but God, I really want this relationship to work. I'm not going to, I know I shouldn't be in it. I'm going to go for it anyways. I know I shouldn't take this job. It's too much. It's going to pull me away from my family. But, but God, I can do it. We withhold our children from Him. Not knowing that. We, we actually think of them as, as ours. But their lives, just as our lives, are held in His hand. And when we lose sight of God being the Creator, every other domino of idolatry begins to flow. Think about it. If He's not your Creator, why would you live as He commands you to live? Why? You can go off and do whatever you want. But if He's not your Creator, why would you turn to Him for salvation? It only makes sense that you would turn to Him to save you if He's the one who's made you. Why would you turn to Him for for salvation if He's not your Creator? You would be a fool to do it. See, if He's not your Creator, you're free to do whatever you want. You can... You have no governing constraints. Nobody over you. you. You're free. To be honest, this is the you read the philosophers that around the time of evolution, coming to dawn, this is the thrust of evolution. This is it. Evolution is not scientific. It has that facade, but it's not scientific at its heart. It's theological at its heart. I would rather be descendant from apes and be from a descendant of this matter colliding together. Who knows where it came from, but it collides together. I would rather be descendant from that than God and bow my knee before Him as my sovereign Creator. That's the theory of evolution. You can sum it up, right? Just like that. And if you ascribe to that, that, that's fine. But you have to admit, part of the reason you love it and you don't want to give up to it, give it up is because you don't want to bow your knee to the Creator. You don't want to fall prostrate before the Creator. The driving force is not scientific. It's of something that you control, but you're reluctant to prostrate yourself before the one whom you cannot control. So if you, if you ascribe to that, that's fine, but wrestle with that motivation of what brings you there. Okay, so we, we see God is our creator, but at this point, what, is, what does a creation look like? Let's, let's go back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth... Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. God created everything. And it's, it's just like this primeval matter floating around. It has, it's without form. It's without, it has, it has no cohesion around it whatsoever. And studying this with Adam throughout the week really changed my understanding of what this looks like. In my head, it goes from nothing to this like Nassau picture of earth, like nothing and then earth. But the text is driving at something different. It seems as though he has this chaotic matter floating all over. And it's summed up in this one word, in, in the deep. In other words, if you translate it into Greek, the, the abyss, the darkness is what it's called. The nothingness, the unfathomable expanse. And over this chaotic deep, over, and over the face of that is darkness. The imaging of that is darkness. And right away, Adam made this great point, right away you're kind of left with this sense of is there any hope? Is there any hope? But then you see it. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The same Spirit that had come down as a dove at Jesus Christ's baptism is now hovering, is now brooding, is now repairing the earth as it's a, as if it's a nest for the children of God to come. It's so beautiful. You see the Spirit just hovering and brooding and preparing the earth for the arrival. So, so far we've seen that God is the Creator. From Him and to Him all things flow. All of our affections, all of our desires are from Him and to Him. And He's created this earth. And it was formless and void. But the Spirit is there. Do not despair. The Spirit is there and is hovering and is preparing the earth for the dwelling of God's people. Let's go on here. And see about this, this light here as well. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the day, the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. And so this creative drama continues. It's not just this... Uh, matter floating un, you know, untethered together with no cohesion. But now, there's light coming in. And God says, let there be light. And there's, there's only one thing that can happen. Light comes in and pierces into the darkness. Beams of light shining and spraying all over the place. Darkness is being overcome by the light. And here you have in these, this, this first little movement of the first chapter of these first verses, a glorious theme that is woven throughout all of Scripture. It's not just here, but you go to the Exodus and the people of God are fleeing. And they need to be led to the promised land. 
And it is God Himself who became the light to lead His people through the darkness as they come to this promise. And Nehemiah is reminding them of this in in, uh, chapter 9. He said, And you, God, divided the sea before them so that they went through the mist of the sea and on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them by day and by a pillar of fire in the night you led them to light the way for them to which they should go. So now there's not just light at the creation, but now we have God becoming light to lead His people to the promised land. Okay. That framework. The prophet Jeremiah, this continues on. There's so many references. The, the prophet Jeremiah, he's calling the people. This is right before the destruction of 587, 586 is when uh, uh, Jerusalem is utterly wiped clean. And Jeremiah is pleading with them, pleading with them, return to God, return to God. And he depicts the judgments that's going to come upon the people as sort of as if it's a kind of a a decreation. That's how terrible the judgment of God is going to be on the people. He writes, For the people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children and they have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good they do not know. I looked on the earth, say God, behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. This judgment is going to be so great upon them. And this is the same thing Ezekiel is driving at in Ezekiel chapter 32. And he says, I, I, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens, and I will make their stars dark. I will cover the sun in a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All of the bright lights of heaven I will make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord. So, this matter floating all over, chaotic, God speaks and into it light comes and then God's redeeming His people and bringing them to the promised land. Well, how does He do it? He Himself becomes a light. Well, what about when He judges His people? Well, well, then it's an absence of light. He's bringing them back to a decreation. The very people who are supposed to be imaging His beauty and His light will be turned dim and completely undone. So the people of God then are in exile and they're longing and they're longing that God would not just create another light. God said, let there be light. God's not, they're not just longing that, that, but they're longing that God would again come and be the light among them. Danny writes, now therefore, O our God, listen to our, this is while they're in exile, listen to our prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face shine. It's the verb form of the noun light. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And here we're left in the same spot that so many of you 
perhaps in right now. You feel like there's darkness. You feel like you've been carried off and left by God. And the darkness is coming in. And you're just like the people of God for hundreds and hundreds of years, longing for the light to come and to shine. And then it happens. The light of Christ comes into the world. And it's as if all of creation, all of this scattering about, that was still scattered about, even though it was drawn together in the subsequent days, it seems as though it was still scattered about, waiting for the light of Christ to come. John 8, Jesus spoke to them and He said, I am, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the great Light. So who could have known? Beloved, who could have known that it was Christ this whole time? It was through Christ that the Father said, let there be light, and then there was light. That was through Christ. It was Christ who was leading them as a pillar of light. It was Christ that the people were longing for, and it is Christ who said, I am the light of the world. So go back to the text here in verse 4. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And this same thing has been happening now for 2,000 years since Christ uttered these words, I am the light of the world. The separating of light from darkness. As you recall, creation was was an ordered separation on days 1, 2, and 3. You have the abyss, the deep, separated from the waters. And then you have the darkness, separated from the light. And then on day two, you have the waters above, separated from the waters below. And then on day three, you have the land, separated out from the water, right? Well, this this continues throughout all of Scripture as the light comes and shines upon the people of God. You have them separated out from among the nations. You have them separated clean and unclean within the temple. And here as a church, we're still separated out. A people knit together, built into a temple of God for the dwelling place of God. And we look around us and we see the chaotic matter still floating all around us and the darkness and the abyss all around us. And we say, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Yes, there is. There is in Christ friends get to work though because the separation will be complete in the age to come where darkness and night will no longer mingle there won't be day and it won't be night they won't mingle whatsoever with the place where the love of God and the wrath of God will no longer be mingling they will be separated because the children of God and the children of men will once and forever be separated Never to mingle for the wrath of God and the glory of God and the love of God will be separated. So when Christ says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's not just telling them, friends. 
He's not just telling them this cool thing 2,000 years ago. No, right this moment, He is calling you and He is inviting you that you may be separated out of the darkness, that you may be called into the light for the darkness is separated from God. So when you think about the, back about this story of creation, you see that it's far more, it's not so abstract, but it's actually the story of another. It mirrors your story as well. You see, everything was in the darkness and there was the, the abyss. Nothing was, nothing was brought together. Just sheer darkness. But then the Spirit comes and starts preparing this darkness for the light of God to come. And maybe for you, some of you, maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're in the darkness. Unfortunately, you don't know it. Maybe the Spirit of God is beginning to work in you, calling you to Himself. I pray to God that He would be. For some of you, the light has come. The one who lights the world also comes and brings light into your heart. And so you, you hear the gospel of Christ coming and redeeming His people and pulling them out of the darkness, changing their hearts and pulling them out of the darkness that they love, that they would rather be in. But God comes. Isn't this glorious? God has come to redeem the people. You, God, has come to redeem you out of the darkness. This is a glorious thing. So pray to God. That He would do that in your heart. If He's done it, praise be to God, pray that He would do it because you still have darkness deep in your heart. Pray that He would continue pulling you. If you're in the darkness and you love it, pray to Him to redeem you. Pray to Him to save your soul. He says, I've come into the world as light. That whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. So, beloved, pray that the light of Christ, when God said, let there be light, pray that it comes true in your own soul and in your own heart. Pray that God will come and work in you. But Christians... We don't just consume this light. We reflect this light as well. So that the light of Christ will come and through you shine into the darkness. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, but ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, Let their light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts and given us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So beloved, it is our privilege, it is our joy, it is our duty and our delight to go and bring this light into the darkness. So how do you do it? Very quickly. Three things. Pray. Pray to God for opportunities. Join 
Patrick and Joe on Tuesday morning as they go praying. They walk through the city. They pray for this church. They pray for our city. And they pray that God would give them opportunities to share the gospel as they're walking through the city. And invariably, God shows up and He does it. You finish praying. God brings someone. Please, God, bring someone into our lives. You look up and there's someone walking right at you. Lo and behold, Pray that God would give you opportunities. And then when that happens, when you see Him walking at you, and you got that moment, you go, am I going to do it? Am I not? Go beyond your comfort zone. Go beyond your comfort level. And you say, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. But you must know, my friends, the light always wins. The light always wins. The darkness has never overtaken the light. It doesn't happen that way. You never know, my friends. You never know. You could be there the very moment sharing the gospel with them. When you see it all happen, when you see God say into their hearts, let there be light. And you get to be there and be a part of it and witness God's transformation where their whole eternity is changed. Pray for opportunities. Go beyond your comfort level. And then finally, leave things into the hands of God. We are able to do this because the story of light coming into the world is not yet complete, my friends. The first day is gone in Genesis 1, but the eternal day has not yet come. So friends, here we are, longing And praying, hoping, and preaching that the glory of God would come and be made known among us. My friends, keep holding on. Keep holding on. For soon, the revelation of John, we told you this was a theme throughout the whole thing. The revelation of God, of John, will not be just written. It will be seen with your very own eyes. This is the new heavens and the new earth. He writes, And I saw no temple in the city for the temple of the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. Friends, there is a day when the light will not come from lights, but the light will be God Himself. There's even more. In this new Jerusalem, keep going to Revelation 22, they will see His face. Long for this day. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp nor sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The light of God will come and work in your hearts. And when this happens, don't just consume it, but reflect the light of God. For there is a day coming when we will need no lamps, no lanterns, no light switches. For the glory of God will be our light. Long for this day as we celebrate the Christ who has come 
Let us also long for the Christ who will come once again. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, there is so much darkness in the, in the world around us, but God, even darker than that is the dark caverns of our hearts, of my heart. Let your light shine in us, God. Let us not run in the darkness. and Let us not grope around blindly in the darkness. But God, let your light shine in us. Illuminate us, not with the wisdom of this world, but with Christ crucified, God. Draw our eyes to you so that we can see you face to face and behold your glory. As we come to worship you and take communion again, God, let us rejoice in the work you have done and the light that has come, and the light that will shine forever and ever. Amen. Amen.